1: to another episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. We are beyond excited. So for excited. <laughs> um, we actually interviewed today's guest after waiting not so patiently for a couple months to be able to get him on the line. Um, but this is somebody who Denee and I both just were kind of in awe of how he speaks the language, kind of walks the walk, talks the talk doesn't have the traditional training, right? Which I think Mm. you and I have called out before with other people. It's always interesting to me when somebody just like embodies it uh, almost like effortlessly.
0: Yeah. He's definitely one of those channels. He's definitely someone that I was so excited to talk to because I feel like, you know, there's so much insight and transparency that he brings to his work, but also just that, you know, I feel like he's sort of calling on all of us to take responsibility for Mm -hmm. the way that we show up. And, you know, I feel like we talk about this a lot. I certainly um, am always sort of like harping on like what we can control is ourselves. So Mm -hmm. what is the hundred percent that I can take responsibility for in whatever the dynamic is. And I think, you know, he sort of challenges us to instead of just sort of continuing along the path of what we have been taught to believe, Really, mm-hmm. dig into what is true for me, and I think that's what always resonates so much um, with mark's message for me
1: yeah, yeah, I'm really excited, guys. This is one of those that just kind of like we went on a million tangents and we could have talked forever, and I actually had to like shut it down at some point because I knew I we were going over his time, and we were all laughing because we could just could have gone and gone and gone, but I'm sure you guys will get swept away just like we did
0: he just has like the biggest most beautiful heart too I was like he's so Canadian just like the (laughs) kindest soul I just really loved this conversation oh
1: well enjoy it I'm sure you guys will just like we did
0: We are so excited to introduce today's guest to you. Um, Mark Groves has been described by many as a human connection specialist. He brings an expansive perspective, I think, to the exploration of how we connect with one another, how we show up in relationships, and ultimately how we stay present to the truth of what's happening within ourselves so that we can live our most authentic lives. Mark Vanessa and I have just been so deeply impacted by your work um we're so thrilled to have this opportunity to sit down and talk with you so thank you so much for doing this and for being here
2: well thank you so much for having me I'm excited to be here when I saw the I I mean I'm familiar with the name of your podcast and I just love it what a great name yeah. You can listen Please. to a podcast and I don't have to go to therapy. Perfect. Not to say it's a replacement. It's a I was like, wait, disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> disclaimer,
3: <laughs> alert.
0: disclaimer Still go alert. to therapy, but yes. <laughs>
1: listen to this too.
2: This is supplemental. Uh, Absolutely. All
1: of our work is supplemental, right? All three of us. Right. Um, yeah. And, you know, like we were just saying before we started recording, it's just a pleasure to finally kind of put the the name to the actual live face because obviously, you know, my partner, John, speaks volumes of you and always has. So, it's kind of nice to actually get to have a conversation with you, and you sent us a really sweet gift when our daughter was born, and I never got to properly thank you, so thank you.
2: Oh, <laughs> you're so welcome. I asked a friend who had uh, who has two kids, what is the best gift you can get as a new parent? And so that's mm-hmm. why I sent those things.
1: It was a giant, for everybody who's listening, it was a giant box of wipes, like straight up Costco amount, and it was amazing. Probably oh, that's what's like, <laughs> <most
0: of them. laughs> <Nice>. up. Organic, <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. all natural. <laughs>
0: That is so what's up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, so Mark, you know, for those of our listeners, I'm sure the vast majority of them follow you as well. Um, But I would love to know a little bit about how did you come into this work? You know, like what, I guess, was your catapult? What was your catalyst to start just digging into the human experience in the way that you now, now, I would say, are kind of an expert on relationships? Uh,
2: You know, it was, I think for probably most people in whatever uh, respective field they're in, it, it Often is that your your pain and your desire to understand for yourself mm-hmm. then becomes uh, you know that idea of like turning your mess into your message, and mm-hmm. that certainly was true for me. Is that I've always been really fascinated by human psychology. I was always really interested in how to change human behavior, but it was more so from a sales perspective, like how do I manipulate a human behavior? And if I was to then sort of extrapolate that skill set. In my romantic or probably personal relationships too, it was how do I minimize the level of responsibility I have, even Mm -hmm. though that was more unconscious to avoid a lack of self worth, you know, Mm -hmm. like really hitting that I'm not enough, I don't know what I'm doing. Being able to turn conflict back on the other person, I think they call that gaslighting now. (laughs) And (laughs) trying to be gentle with my younger self, Uh, you know, being able to understand when I went through a heartbreak in my late 20s, which was, it it was an engagement that I ended, it was really a a part, you know, that idea of like, sometimes new pain is actually old pain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And And that's why some grief can be what feels like not equivalent to whatever the experience is. And I really found like, that was the first time that I really asked myself like, When was the last time I chose my life consciously? Why Mm -hmm. am I where I'm at now? Why am I so good at talking about everything but my feelings? And so it really, in that moment where my engagement ended, it was, I had made it to a moment when I got engaged that I'd been taught to always want. You know, I grew up Catholic and I think this, no matter your story or what your religion is or anything, there's sort of a general narrative of how your life should look at what age, what milestones, and I was 27 when I got engaged, so that was like the perfect milestone, I had a good job, I was going to be a good provider, all those things, and then when I ended the engagement, I realized that I was no longer part of the story that Mm. we're taught, and that dissonance that was created by like, everyone else is doing this, and I'm now starting over, quote-unquote, I was like, wait, why does no one teach us how to be in relationship? And I remember being angry because I thought, well, relationships end all the time. Why have I not noticed this? I'm in an ending it's painful, but I'm not a failure, but I felt like a failure Mm -hmm. and I chose to end the relationship. So it was in some way, a moment of reclamation or a moment of really following my intuition. Because my, I mean, my partner at the time, incredible woman. And so that was a really hard, why don't I want to be in a relationship with this incredible woman? And there were so many layers to that. And it was, it was just a really, I I was angry because I felt like no one was normalizing what was normal. Mm. And that really put me on this mission. At first I was like, relationships, marriage, get out of here. And because it didn't make sense to me, it didn't make sense that you would start this relationship that would inevitably lead. For the most part to a breakup or a divorce and you know if it was an investment that we were told to make and 50% of the time it didn't work out we would be like I'm not giving you my money Mm -hmm. but when you think about it the level of return that's possible and if you're actually learning the skill sets Mm -hmm. you also start to see that it's not the endings that determine your value or your worth it's how do you show up because of course you're only part of the equation um, and so that really fueled a lot of my work was I felt no one was telling the truth. Mm. And, and so it was, that was the beginning of the journey was like, let's tell the truth. Relationships mm. are fucking hard yeah. and they end and it sucks <laughs> when they end and you should not be exiled from your community when they end. You should actually be welcomed into your community because you need your community in Thanks. that moment.
0: Yeah, thank you for saying that and for holding space for that, Mark. Um, I feel like, although I'm just meeting you right now, in a lot of ways, I have felt like you've sort of been coaching me through, um, my marriage ended in October, and you you were so transparent about the ending of your relationship last year, and I just felt like so much of what you were saying was resonating so deeply, and you're right there are all these things we don't really think about until it's our experience. And, um, this is unfolding for me. And you were sort of, you know, saying all these things about the hierarchy of relationship status and how we sort of value like marriage is like the top of it. And then like from there, it's down to being single. And then the length of your marriage sort of determines where you are in the hierarchy. And there were all these things that I was like, God, he's so right. And I've never thought of how society holds this until it was my experience. Right.
2: Until you're not, validated by it anymore but then you realize how much we we realize how much we actually try to avoid those outcomes because we see what happens to other people Mm -hmm. oh I don't want to get divorced look what happened to my aunt or look what happened to my friend and and then what that does is inhibits our authentic self
3: right Mm because our
2: authentic self will want to bring forward I miss you things are hard Uh, I feel like I'm taking you for granted you're taking me for granted or whatever it is And what's so fascinating about that is when we put our relationship status as our determinant of our worth, then we'll do anything to avoid the status changing.
3: Mm.
2: The very conversations that might fracture a relationship are actually the very conversations that deepen it. And so we're stuck in this real interesting paradox where we either have to abandon ourselves to stay in the relationship or actually have this conversation that might fracture it, Mm. but actually deepen it. And that's a weird if not verbalized or understood that's a real that's where most people are frozen
1: yeah yeah and that's that's what's interesting about what you're saying is that so my a lot of my journey has been through my own world of codependency, but also now in helping so many others with their codependency. And I've been struck by this idea, the old guard of codependency, which used to be just like CODA addict, right? And now mm-hmm. we know so much more about codependency. And I see it show up in pretty much every relationship, I would say, totally,
3: right? right? and it's I so think subtle. it
1: really is mm-hmm. like, it's the societal thing that you're talking about, which is like, I can't exist on my own. I only exist in relationship with this other person. And if I leave that relationship now, I don't exist. Right. And so I think in its own way, that is such a form of codependency. And that is why all of us are walking around with this inability to be authentic.
2: Right. Which is not our fault. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not our fault because it's everything that's been modeled. And if you look at the gender messages, uh, we often focus on, and rightfully so, the self abandonment that women have had to have in relationship. Uh, But there is a a real giant form of self abandonment that men have that Mm -hmm. is somewhat acknowledged, which is the connection to the emotional self. And so when our partner, if I'm speaking heteronormatively, but really any, any gender combination can have this setup, which is you seek for me to hold space for you, which will make you feel accepted Well, you know that you'll feel heard and understood and, but if I've never, if I've been castrated from my emotions, mm-hmm. there's, I don't even know how to do it for myself. So I'm being asked to go into the deep end when, and I know John uses that term of, of swimming past the breakers, which is if I've never done that with myself, I cannot, I'm no lifeguard. I'm, I'm just sitting there like, I think I'm supposed to say, I hear you. <laughs> I yeah. understand. But really deep down, I don't because I don't even know the linguistics that are appropriate for my own feelings. So empathy is pretty hard to have because I don't even know how to emulate your feeling because I don't know the feeling.
0: Yeah, I love that you sort of speak to it's not our fault. Like I talk to clients all the time about, you know, a lot of times we're asking our partner to like do something they have no language for, right? Like it's like, can you go fly that jet for me real quick? Like, fly the jet. Why aren't you flying the jet? Like just get in there and do it. And they have no idea how to do what you're asking. They have lived their entire lives in a culture that's, you know, taught them to do the exact opposite basically of what you're asking them to do. And so we sort of miss each other. Yeah.
2: Well gives you that sense of compassion all of a sudden. Mm. Oh wow, you can't hold it because no one's ever held it for you. Oh how painful is that? And you, you know, again, that's why I emphasize, it's not really gender specific because I could mm. say I've heard no matter the human say I'm bad at communication, because usually that, as you both know, it, it, it can occur just from not being heard in a family system, which <laughs> they're not picky on gender family systems. will <laughs> they'll just sever your ability to communicate for so many reasons. And I mean, that journey of unlayering that is, mm. uh, filled with so much grief because you all of a sudden face parts of yourself that you've, you, you rejected long ago, of course, not your fault. But then that reunion is a sad and exciting reunion because you realize you have so much more complexity, so Mm. much more depth, so much more soul, so much more. And I, I, we're sort of like in a place where we're discovering more and more. And I believe that we're in a more accepting open time to have, as we are these conversations. And at the same time, we've probably never lived in a more superficial time either with social media. And so both social media, really allows us to reach people we would have never had these conversations with. And we're using a tool that is also really severing a lot of our, our worth, our worth is really living in like buttons and Mm. hearts and shares and, which is really, um, if we bring it to the, co- the, to the cognitive space, to the conscious mind, we can at least say, how does this affect me? How do I, you know, and which is, that's a whole other, that's probably a five podcast episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I think there's a new Netflix documentary that I just started watching last night and fell asleep. That's on like exactly what is happening to us with social media. It's, um. So,
2: is it Social Dilemma? Yeah. yeah so I haven't I just, watched the, yeah. Uh, I read yeah. something about that,
0: yeah. Um, Isn't yeah, of- that yeah,
2: interesting that those are people who work for those social networks? Mm-hmm. Who all know this is occurring, and I think yeah. it's a really we're in a very fascinating time where you take cancel culture, you take a lack of responsibility and acknowledgement for power systems mm. and racial division and all those things, and and you're in this really interesting where we have to have hard conversations. And yet you can get canceled for having it in the wrong way, even though no one's ever had the conversation before. So how do you know the right words? And if you look, that's such a, a macro version of what occurs in just our interpersonal relationships, which we might never have had this conversation. I can't just cancel you because you mm-hmm. use the wrong word. Right. And yet, of course, responsibility is important. So it's this really interesting dance that we're all in, especially having a public conversation. And I'm really interested to see how that continues, because you have to be brave to have hard conversations today, because you could lose your livelihood, you could lose many things, but it's worth the risk to change things.
0: Well, sort of speaking of that, I kind of, (laughs) I wanted to thank you for something actually, Mark, because there was something that happened at the beginning of the summer that like was such a huge lesson for me. And I've been referencing so often with clients and it's a little bit what you're speaking to in terms of confirmation bias. And I don't know if you remember, but there's this episode of your podcast where you were talking about this Charles Einstein article and um, how we're sort of addicted to normalcy and you know, this confirmation bias, and you were talking about basically, like, be careful how you let go of your civil liberties or how you sort of are like so quick to offer them away. And there was this whole thing happening in May with protests around the governor of Michigan, and people were like standing around with AR-15s and Confederate flags. And you were sort of like, you know, be careful to like publicly be shaming people for this. And You know, I got to tell you, I got a little activated, right? I was like, okay, Mark, that's so easy for you to say if a black man was standing there with an AR-15, da-da-da, right? So I was like in my little own internal echo chamber about it. And then sure enough, fast forward a few months later, you know, George Floyd is killed and people are out protesting that. And their civil liberties are being taken away and they're being like pulled off in trucks and you know, taken God knows where. And I was like, Swear. this is exactly what Mark Groves is talking about. This is what he meant. And I'm sitting here in my little echo chamber of, you know, what I have believed based on my fears around like what it means when people see my race a certain way or mm-hmm. stand with a Confederate flag. And I'm not willing to meet the moment with curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. And what is this like for them? What are their fears around this moment? And I, I think if we don't get to that space where we stay curious, we're just gonna continue to miss each other and sit in our own little echo chambers and reinforce the beliefs that all of us have. And I don't know, thank you, because I feel like it really sort of opened my eyes to, we're not gonna get out of this moment if we don't sort of stay in curiosity with one another.
2: I was thinking as you were saying that, I'm like, I said that, fuck, and that AR-15, jeez. Shut <laughs> <laughs> Uh I appreciate that. As you finish it, I'm like, "Oh yeah, good. I had a good point." (laughs) Who did? (laughs) That is, I was always struck by Van Jones's. He did a podcast where he talked about that of being able to. He follow. He said that your social media feed will be curated for you to reaffirm everything you believe. Mm -hmm. And he said, "I follow people who I should never like. I follow people who are hateful towards me, uh, uh, towards him as a black man, Mm -hmm. and." I was really, that was such a beautiful thing where he said, the reason I do that is so I can sit down with them with love. Mm. And I was like, whoa, wow. like talk about the ultimate, like we're so quick to, to only follow news that validates us that for this person who's in that position to actually still have love, it was really mm. just such a resonant thing for me. And I do recognize like I'm in, I'm in the top, I don't have an intersection you know, and that's for me to make that statement is, is brave. But in some way, it's like, I have to continue to go to the depths of the systems that make it so I am just given power rather Mm -hmm. than power coming from within myself. And that takes away power from other people, Mm -hmm. which is really an interesting, you know, as we navigate, how do you use your social media in a way to elevate voices? Mm -hmm. And how do you do it in a way that is that really does sit down with asking questions because it's amazing how we, don't, we won't like truths that our partners hold a lot of the time. Mm. And really isn't that what the container of a beautiful relationship is, is that it is big enough to hold two truths at the exact same time and no one be wrong, that in between that, there's somewhere there's love, somewhere in there is a compromise that doesn't create self-abandonment There's something that feels more unifying rather than separating. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where that line is. I mean, I think in any conversation, it exists through the curious, um, you know, empathic Mm -hmm. conversation of saying like, I don't know your world, tell me about it. Even though it might invalidate my world, it's an interesting place to be in.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's what I see time and time again, even not even just in relationships, but in life with clients that show up, it's this struggle to to balance the, it's the whole tension of the opposites, right? And we speak so much to that in, in therapy work. It's like, how is it that we get to a place where we're able to expand our ability to hold And not just two, but multiple truths, right? Um, Because if you're talking about different relationships outside of just, you know, two partners that are in a romantic relationship, there's going to be multiple truths. And who gets Mm -hmm. to say which one's wrong and which one's right? And this idea of maybe it disproves or invalidates my, my personal belief or who I am as a person, then we get to be curious about that. Why is it, right, that your stance or your being or your sense of self with a capital S is so wrapped up on mm. this one thing being true? Um and, and maybe we should unravel that a little bit.
2: Yeah, why does my identity why is it so uh why is it so stuck in one way of seeing? You know, I've, I remember hearing Russell Brand say, always live as if your identity is fluid. Mm. You know, and I, I love that because, you know, then you take on this new. You get information that invalidates your world, and you're excited about it because all you've done is found more truth. You haven't lost yourself because if your self is connected to being in truth, then you don't lose yourself. You actually gain more of yourself. Which,
3: mm.
2: you know, I think in a lot of ways, the conversation about uh, white privilege is like, if we as as white people can hold the truth that we do have privilege, mm-hmm. and then the shame or whatever that the feeling that sits with that, then all of a sudden we're able to say, okay, there's just more truth here. Now I know that there's a system that benefits me, which I, you know, is in the same relationally, yeah. which is I just uncovered that there's some, when I discovered that I used to gaslight my partners, oh my gosh, I had mm-hmm. to all of a sudden sit with that reality of like 25-year-old Mark who didn't really, he was just trying to protect himself from feeling shame.
3: Right.
2: Where there is actually healthy shame, healthy shame, is normal to feel when you've done something that is shameful
1: mm-hmm.
2: which really just invites more growth
1: right yeah and it's yeah, it's like me with i mean codependency right it's like realizing after the fact when i remember my first al anon meeting and they said to me we're not here to talk about them and their disease we're here to talk about you and your disease and i was like whoa
2: whoa, whoa. Uh, can i leave
1: <laughs> what disease are we talking about <laughs> you know he's the problem and so it's a similar thing it's like if i could sit with the shame of like oh you mean i i have a big part to play in this um, unraveling, you know, of my relationship, that that was where the journey started. That that ability to hold that truth was actually what set me on the path to continuing to be excited to grow and be disproven. And I still suffer from it. I still suffer from like, but this is myself, and I believe these things.
3: Hmm. Um, I don't think
1: Same. we ever get. To, we're not Buddha, yeah. right? We don't ever <laughs> get to a place where I'm like, I have no attachment to self, you know?
0: Yeah.
2: Wow, yeah, I totally agree. I feel like that's that. I always remember this line from Ram Dass where he talks about the, which he quotes Christ, which is to be in the world, but not of the world. Mm -hmm. So like to not forget your humanness, like you're going to have human emotions and being like all of a sudden you're Eckhart Tolle and it's like, that's just my pain body. It's like, yeah, "Yeah, but it's still my pain body and it's still painful and it's still, (laughs) right. It's so easy to bypass that. You know, and and to just choose love, but you know, anger is love. Mm-hmm. It is. Absolutely. It's what changes worlds in a healthy way. We just cons- we just confuse anger and aggression.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do think this thing of what constantly comes up for clients is that the work never ends, right? Like that we are continuously forever, like that is what it is to be alive. As long as we are breathing, there's still more work to do. I feel like, Um, you know, I can't tell you how often clients are like, I've fallen off the wagon of all the work I've done because I had this explosion. It's like, no, that's actually called being human. (laughs) It continues as long as we're alive and that's okay. Yeah, It's it's supposed to be.
2: Well, isn't the awareness itself of the wagon,
0: Mm. That,
2: that is the work, like just knowing that you're on or off it is that's the, that's the best you will always get is just, just recognize that, you know, keep the metaphor alive. What's on the wagon will change. What's Mm. off it will change. And, I always just think like I keep bowing to the cosmic two-by-fours that come my way that remind me that I don't know, I'm not God. I yes. have to maintain <laughs> this level of curiosity that, and humility. I think you know, mm-hmm. humility is such an uh, underspoken relational master skill, which is please show me I'm wrong. What a weird perspective to have, you know, mm-hmm. but to bow to that from your partner to say, wow, I'm, I'm wrong. And uh, I don't like doing that. I feel like I'm eating my shoe when I have Mm -hmm. to, you know, but there is a cool connective element to it because in the humility, you feel just so connected and grace, you feel love, you feel a deepening of self and a deepening of the partnership. And that, I mean, I don't know that you can feel the guards go down when you say you're right.
1: Mm. It's funny when you're saying that, because in my head, I'm picturing myself as somebody who obviously has been on and off the wagon, right, for the last, I don't know, 15 years. And I'm thinking, (sighs) if I were in this space, (laughs) humility, humility, and I'm going, I don't know that I could get there. That easily, right? Like I'm imagining myself immediately, guards aren't coming down, guards are going up.
2: Right? Yeah, bring in the extra forces. <laughs> yeah.
1: They're calling in their backup. And so you know, for people who are out there that are like, okay, Mark, you know, <laughs> the guards are coming down. I'm thinking, totally. if I were sitting with a client, what would I say to them in that moment where it's like, yeah, you don't. Yes, we can talk about humility, but to be real in that moment and say, my guards are up. I think the best that I could do, and if I'm talking to somebody out there who's saying, how could I do that, is just to maybe call out, hey, my guards are up. Hey, I'm feeling really on the spot right now, right? And I'm feeling a a lot of shame. Um, You know, I always like to say, we get to the shame spiral. And once we're in the spiral, it is really hard to get ourselves out of it until Mm -hmm. we've grounded, right? Whatever that looks like for you. Um, And so the best that I've been able to do is just put words to it in the moment, get in my body, what's happening in my chest, in my head, and just talk to my partner. This is what I'm feeling. This is what's coming up. I'm getting defensive. Um, There's no solution in that moment. It's just, this is where I'm at. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: That's beautiful. I mean, that's everything. It's just the naming of it. And then it doesn't own you from a shadow space. It's now a conscious space. And so it's not driving the car, which is really cool. It's in the car, Mm -hmm. but it's not driving the car. It's now a passenger. And I think if our partners and us, can learn to say thank you for sharing that.
3: Mm.
2: You want to talk more about that? What does it want? What do you want to do right now? And it might be like shut down, leave, yell at you. Mm-hmm. And that way, it's, it, you sort of bring out the reactive child is still in the room rather than running the show. And the adult is actually, because I've got the best reactive defensive child. Oh my
0: god. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking as you're saying that, like the armed guards are so real, you know, like so (laughs) good, dude. They are gonna fight to sort of defend themselves. And you know, I think sometimes it takes everything falling apart. You know, I have this um thing that you said that I wrote down that you said something about like the in the devastation is the connection to everything. And I couldn't see some of the way that my arm guards were sort of playing out in my relationship or the way that my wounds and my partner's wounds were playing out until it was just like, through the devastation, it's like, oh, I can see so clearly now how our wounds were being just like activated with <laughs> totally yeah. smashing each other, absolutely. But I mean, in that way, it's such a gift, you know, cause. able to see things you weren't able to see without that devastation.
2: Well whenever anyone tells me that they've gotten divorced or are getting divorced, you know, it's or a breakup or whatever it is. You know, I have such a different perspective on it because I've tasted the deep, deep parts of myself that existed there Mm. and the grace. And, you know, so I'm certainly sorry to hear what you're going through. And I'm like, this is the birth of everything. Mm-hmm. Like, you no longer, I always love about breakups is you can start to lay it down because all yes. of a sudden you're like pissed off. You use a boundary, you start to, re- it doesn't matter where it comes from. It's that mm-hmm. all of a sudden people will be like, yeah, you know, leave them alone. They're going through some stuff. And you're like, this is perfect. Now I can birth the authentic me and yes. the world has to adjust to me instead of me being this perfect, I adjust to everyone chameleon, which, you know, Part of the recovering codependence, like hand up over here too, <laughs> which is it's like, what is it like if I let other people take care of me, other people love me mm-hmm. and we do it in unison rather than feeling exhausted and depleted and uh, righteous and whatever else comes with the codependent the codependent dance is a real. It's a real badge of honor and it's hard to get rid of because it requires, it is Hmm. in the moment you accept that you're codependent, you now are vulnerable and you recognize you're flawed. Mm -hmm. And so that, and so what lives below that, of course, is the knowing that you're flawed and the knowing that you're human. And that is, we feel so, so raw in that moment. Um, and that can be hard to work with a partner who dances in our codependency with us because often we've created this world where everyone needs us and all of a sudden we adjust and people are like, uh, I noticed my laundry is not done.
3: <laughs> We're like, yeah,
2: guess what? There's a washing machine and you have two capable hands. You know, it's a, as you step out of your role, you invite them to step out of their role and that's where the authentic selves either fracture or deepen.
0: It's like, as we learn to Be less afraid of the ruptures. We see that there is so much strengthening in the ruptures, and I think that's all our relationships. And I I talk about that constantly with clients. Like, you can actually tell me when what I'm saying is rubbing you the wrong way. It actually will strengthen our relationship. And I think the more that we practice it, the more we start to get excited for these moments of rupture. It's like, yeah, let's do it. Let's get upset with one another.
2: Let's rupture some shit. That's a different (laughs) perspective as opposed to starting fights for connection. You know, you're like bringing forward the truth. For, for intimacy
3: mm-hmm. and
2: you know I think of that uh, whenever I've had clients in my past be like that's not true for me I'm like Ooh, <laughs> well done yeah that's <laughs> good and they're usually right you know yeah. which is great but it shows them that they start to build their own discernment mm. which is really able to separate what someone thinks about them from what is actually true about them and I think that's true for all of us is to be able to say I hold myself so true I determine my own worth. So when someone says to me, I'm not worthy, I know it doesn't match. Or when they mm-hmm. treat me like I'm not worthy, I know it doesn't match. And so the standard is set by me. Mm-hmm. And in that, you don't tolerate shit anymore. You, know? you don't swipe right to bullshit. You swipe right to only hell yes. Yeah. You, don't, you recognize red flags where people, where you didn't before. Because when you're choosing from a place of worth and a place of abundance, you're not swiping right to just like someone with great abs. You're swiping right to, oh, that person looks kind. That person Mm. looks like they have, you know, certain values or whatever that is. And of course, the response to that I sometimes get is that sounds judgmental. And I'm like, it's how humans make decisions. There's decision heuristics. You know, in the research, you can look at someone's Facebook or Instagram and determine with pretty high accuracy what their values are. Mm. And that's not a judgment, that's just. I mean, that's research, so I can at least support we're it with that. We're
1: set up that way, right? I mean, right, I mean that's, that's how that's we're designed. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, and, yeah. Only, and knowing that is is actually where it doesn't take control of you. You could be like, oh, the superficial part of me wants to watch this little real video of a girl dancing in her little underwear. Mm-hmm. Oh, the adult part of me should probably not go down that rabbit hole, you know? <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, I think so much of the way that you sort of speak to these things without sugarcoating it, Mark, is why you resonate with, you know, and certainly your audience is a lot women right like you, yeah. your demographics are highly Probably like dim- 80 yeah. percent. okay yeah. but, but I think
1: sounds, which is funny right it's the same like oh no bullshit kind of way of speaking and I,
0: yeah I don't know I feel like yeah, there's I something about <laughs> like a guy <laughs> that is saying the things to you that everyone else is like I don't know if it's like afraid to say to you like yeah. I feel like he, the women will be like if he leaves an emoji on my story like oh, what does it her. mean and you're like nothing it means, means nothing,
2: nothing. It literally means nothing
0: but it's so refreshing that someone is actually telling the truth about all of these things that we say. And I think we do it, you know, as women, we sort of co-sign each other's BS a little bit, like, well, maybe he's just scared of commitment. And it's, um, I think it's refreshing to have a guy that's a voice of like, no, actually, there's so much more that you should be demanding for yourself in terms of connection, in terms of like dropping into your authentic self with someone.
2: Yeah, look, like men, but humans, Mm -hmm. but especially men, we're not gonna change our behavior if we still get the person. You know, right. it's like hmm. there's no cost to the behavior. And, you know, as I remember once, I did a video on uh, someone asked a question of like, should I, how do I, is it a red flag if a guy pays on the first date? And that, whew, that started, or won't pay, sorry, on the first date. Oh, like, and that started, everyone's like, no, that's a green flag if he pays. <laughs> Uh, and I thought, well, let's just ask about this. Like, yeah. what part of patriarchy do you still want to participate mm-hmm. in? I think that's a fascinating. Like, you like the parts you like, but you don't like the other parts. I get it. And it's not, again, it's not a judgment of anything. But even when I say that, it's like, can we have this conversation without reactivity? Yeah. Oh, my God, no. It was like, that is a red flag. That's this. He's a boy. I mean, there were so many things. And I was like, it's actually quite a green flag, although a weird one. Mm-hmm. To if a man actually says would you like to split this mm-hmm. because he believes you can take care of yourself and he doesn't want to create no because when we pay for a date or pay for a drink at a bar that is designed it's called reciprocity and it's yes. a it's a mm-hmm. form of influence and everyone should read the book or at least the audible or read a summary of the book "Influence" by Robert Cialdini because it's like every marketer created is all, is all based on that book. Mm-hmm. And it creates, I now owe you. And so if we start to understand that, then all of a sudden we go, oh, so when I say no, now I'm meeting that person head to head. I'm meeting that person head on, which I think in a lot of ways puts us, if we're used to being in the more submissive position, it makes us feel uncomfortable because all of a sudden we're powerful and we see that we have this level of responsibility, this level of um, that we can meet because of course, like women have been taught that they're not, and they Mm. couldn't vote, they couldn't, and there's so many ranges to that as you add intersections. And so it's such a fascinating when we recognize our psychology and how it influences us, even in subtle things like who pays on the first date. Um, And the one thing I I remember Harriet Lerner saying in her book, Dance of Intimacy, Mm. was that uh, she gets asked all the time, why do women seek emotional information more than men, Mm. relational information? and i love how she she made it so clear she said any submissive group must learn the nuances of the dominant group to survive mm-hmm. and so that's why if you ask women how to relate they tend to be hungry for the information and you know she speaks about it in overfunctioning and underfunctioning right. that in patriarchy in the nuclear family the male tends to underfunction and the woman tends to overfunction again doesn't matter the gender construct, but we're talking about the sort of evolutionary messages. And Mm -hmm. then she said, if you look, people of color know the nuances of white people, but if you ask white people, they don't know the nuances of people of color. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's so true Mm
3: -hmm. because we don't
2: have to. And in essence, that's privilege, Mm -hmm. which you don't have to think about that thing, which takes up cognitive space. And when it takes up cognitive space, it's harder to be authentic because if your authenticity actually risks your life, actually risks your um safety that's huge that makes it that's a massive deal because there is a cost to it and of course mm-hmm. there's a cost to our authenticity till we create safe spaces where we can have conversations that are authentic and real which i think we can and you know it seems like always a both end
0: yeah mm. I feel like it's so, like, yeah, I'm I'm sitting with that. And it's really challenging to know how to meet one another. I feel like Vanessa and I talk so much, you know, we're both moms of, um, young kiddos. And I feel like it's, it's really tough as women to feel like we are so deep in our masculine in this role of motherhood, which a lot of times people don't think of how masculine this role is, but it is. And it can be really difficult to sort of know how men and women can meet one another, um, in this space of like what we've been wired to be versus Um, like how we're trying to come back to one another, how men are just like (laughs) trying not to like feel the wrath of what women sometimes (laughs) are in early motherhood. It's really challenging, I think. And more than anything, I think what moms talk to me about is exactly what you're speaking to. Like I'm carrying so much of the emotional load. I need help with this. And I sometimes, I don't know what what the solution is. What do you think, Work?
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, wait a second. Would you, would you say, could you
0: solve that for us,
2: Mark? So we can get back to to our our (laughs) question. I'll tell you what I think. And then I'll just, I, I think that if we don't create space for men to step into emotional roles by treating them differently when they're boys, Mm. you know, I was asked recently, like, what is integrated masculine? What is healthy masculinity? And I was thinking about it. I'm like, it's, it's the inclusiveness of femininity within a man. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's not masculinity is X. It's it is the acceptance of the feminine within self, and then that creates more harmony with the feminine. Yes. And there's a lot of men and women who've rejected the masculine within themselves too, and so they're more on the other side of that integration. Is the balance of both. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in home. You know, one thing that I remember Esther Perel talks about is that same gender couples don't choose parenting based on the gender. They choose it based on skill set. And so as heteronormative couples could learn from that. And I thought that really is quite beautiful to think about that that's how we choose. But that also requires, you know, more roles to be acceptable within males about men. So when our friend says, I'm staying home and I, you know, I got a paternity leave, that were like, amen. Or, you know, mm-hmm. you see dads in Vancouver walking kids together in their carriages and I'm like, yeah, it was power. You know, we're like, we're, we're doing it. We're doing yes. it. And that's, I don't know what the answer is, but it feels like it's probably something to do with, why not just allow each person whatever expression they want? Like mm-hmm. they were just wholeheartedly themselves. That's a big question though, of course, because then that requires someone to get to know all of the parts of themselves that they've rejected and have been rejected externally, which is so many parts of us, you know, that's-
1: that, That's interesting that you said that because yeah. what, what I'm thinking right now is this idea of, so if I just allow, I mean, obviously, with a certain amount of expectation that my partner is going to be continuing to do the work, but if I simultaneously just allow him, and we'll talk about this from, you know, my perspective obviously being a woman with a man but if i just allow him to show up in what he is good at and what his expression is um in partnership in parenthood um there is a reason unconsciously why him and i were attracted to each other right Mm -hmm. um and i and i I somewhat jokingly say when when he gets upset with me for momming him um and how (laughs) triggering that is and i say well you also chose somebody who moms you like there, there you got to take your your you have to take some of the responsibility for this. Yeah, course. where
2: did you underfunction, John? Where yeah, like there's <laughs> I choose people
1: who want to be momed, you choose people who, you know, who mom. Like it's both of us here. But if we can almost see each other <laughs> in this way where it's like, well, this is what you're good at. Now, maybe. Dependency again, maybe not because of choice, maybe it's because I overdeveloped this one thing, this one skill set because I had to, right, for survival. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did the same. Um, but if we can say, you know what, you're good at this and you're good at this, and let's show up that way and let that be okay, I wonder if that would take out some of the resentment and mm-hmm. some of the defensiveness that comes from, but why don't you do more? Why don't you also do this, this, and this? Um, well, maybe it's because this is their skill set and this isn't, and this is your skill set and this isn't. I don't know, I don't know if that's even making sense. It's just, you got me thinking kind of along that line of like, can we show up with our partners in that way? And would that help strip some of that resentment? At least that
2: brings that next question, which is what is the line between a um, reasonable ask Mm
3: -hmm. and Mm
2: -hmm. an unreasonable ask? And that I think can only really be determined within the container of each relationship. But I think about like, if my partner asks me to do something, do I not want to do it because it's not just not in harmony with me or does it require me to grow and learn and change?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that, that means it's inviting my expansion, which means mm-hmm. I should say yes to it for sure. And, you know, I think we all have to do a better job of actually expressing what we need to feel supported and loved right. because a lot of the times we learn that resentment is a powerful weapon mm-hmm. as well as holding on to disappointing my expectations. So I'm actually, often people will be conditioned, especially codependent people, who are the over-functioners, who are the caretakers, mm-hmm. is they know that they have an upper hand if they hold this card. So what happens if they let go of mm-hmm. their cards? Mm-hmm. Well, then they normalize, then now you have the hierarchy of the relationship where it's like, if I trusted that my partner could show up for themselves, I now don't have a job anymore though. And that feels weird. So all of a sudden, you know, it's like the underfunctioner is like, what happens if I show up for myself? What happens if I am not broken? Because that's the interesting thing is like one person often feels flawed and broken and the other person feels like they're doing all the work and taking care of everything. And it's like, what happens if we just, one person took a step back to create space for the other person to take a step forward mm-hmm. that's hard because of course the the world is out on avoidance the world is out on the underfunctioner you know we are quick to penalize and put them in a box often the narcissism box mm-hmm. and and not leave a lot of space for it's interesting how the overfunctioning position is just like Most memes are about it, you know, Mm -hmm. like if you want to find a man who, you know, like these types of things where you're like, if I flip the gender on that statement, we'd be in a lot of trouble. Mm -hmm.
0: But it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting as someone who probably might identify more as the underfunctioner in under relationships. Like listen. And we're like we're like listen wait a second. But I think you know Brené Brown was talking about this and I thought it was really interesting how much she sort of called out that a lot of times the underfunctioner is also doing that as a way to sort of be in that codependent dynamic mm-hmm. of, I know this oh, yeah. is what you need from me. Mm-hmm. I know that you want me to underfunction, and certainly, like I know I could step into roles sometimes, but then that might sort of like Stop throw the dynamic toes, yeah. off between us, right? And then what what is your job going to be if I function a little <laughs> yeah.
2: What do I do with all my time <laughs> if I'm not trying to suggest books for you to read? Into it? <laughs> The other day I was joking with my partner because I said to her, uh, I said something, I forget what it was about. And I said, am I over-functioning? And she was Mm. like, yes. And I was like, (laughs) ah, damn it. Can you still just, I forget what it was, but I was like, can you still? (laughs) Can you still do that thing? (laughs) Yeah, I remember. And she looked at me like, "Mm mm-mm. Like, you know, and what's interesting is the recognition, I think, and the compassion that comes Mm. with knowing. That the overfunction and the underfunction are actually just both ways of preventing hurt. Mm. And so when we can see that the person who distances is actually just responding in a different way to the injury of closeness. So the injury of closeness that has led to pain, and I usually I'll ask people to finish the sentences: when I love people, they and when I mm. let people love me, they. And usually People who are trying to avoid the truth will be like, they love me back. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's go deeper. <laughs> and we'll get there eventually, but it's usually not where ninety-nine percent of humans are. Mm-hmm. And it's when you start to see it's like they betray me, they lie to me, I lose myself, you know, and then you can start to see that the the survival strategy that we have, the defensiveness, the underfunctioning, the overfunctioning, whatever it is, is to prevent that outcome occurring again. But it often just continues to create the outcome or we just live in the outcome. So if I'm afraid Mm. of people leaving me and I'm over-pursuing, over-chasing, criticizing, whatever it is, I live in not just the rejection of people constantly, which validates my story. I also am internally rejected the whole time. Mm. So I'm living in rejection on fleek. Do people even <laughs> say that anymore? I don't no, even know, but I
1: think we should. They do now. i quite
2: dated here. That was very dated. That was not very millennial of me. Uh, oh, yeah. Every millennial says, I'm here for it. Don't be here for that. Don't be here for that. I think when you start to recognize, though, that the, yeah. the closing down of distance is one person's way and the distancing is another person's mm-hmm. way of just recreating the story but thereby being in the story always Mm -hmm. and that that right away at least gives compassion to the avoidant to the distancer Mm -hmm. it takes so much courage if you're a distancer if you're an underfunctioner, to actually step towards love i I actually think that's where somatic work Mm -hmm. for both is important but especially a distancer body work because nervous system response says flee get out and for the other person the nervous system response says fight or like get to it, you know, chase, chase, chase. Both people need to probably do some form of big T, little T sort of trauma work.
1: Trauma work. But I'll I'll flip it on its head and say that while I am the overfunctioner, I'm also the distancer.
2: Oh, that's yeah. keep it keep it mixed up. I like yeah. to do the same. I like to mix it up. <laughs>
1: yeah. I'm a distancer for sure, and so that gets me into trouble because it's like I, I overfunction, and then I'm like, but it's too much, and then I find myself backing out, and then yeah, I, I shut down. Yep, mm-hmm. same. So, like and feel uh, my
2: stomach when I do that.
1: Yeah, and mm-hmm. I, I actually start to feel myself like it's literally you know that it, this image of like Pew, like a power down. It's like <laughs> I can feel myself sucking. <clears throat> in. <her>. Yep. <laughs> and uh, normally I'm not responding, and I get the whole like, are you know, are you there? Are you listening? And I'm, most of <laughs> the time I'm like, I am, but I'm so in my own world of trying to keep myself online. <laughs>
3: Mm -hmm. And so it's
1: like, I am actually doing mantras in my head of actually one of the things that John says, which is like, try to understand before being understood. I'm literally in my head, staring at him, watching him talk, going, understand before being understood, understand before
3: being understood,
1: (laughs) so that I don't just totally disappear in the moment. But it's weird to be that that combination because it's not, I don't think it's frequent, at least in what I've seen in clients.
2: Yeah, that... uh... Uh, sort of ambivalent attachment style disorganized it's it is an interesting because of course it's easy to pivot between the two because neither require security you know and that that's really where the gift is is learning and i think when people start to recognize like the sort of underlying definition of secure relationship is my partner's needs matter as much as my own not more not less and and that's a hard place to get to because we often think if i value your needs then I don't, that means I lose mine. We think it's an either or, probably because we saw that. And that's, gosh, to know that both people can win is such a different perspective. And when we're unified in something and it's both of us facing a problem rather than you're the problem or I'm the problem or the problem sits between us, that we're shoulder to shoulder facing the problem. Now we have two people, two abilities, two skill sets, two you know, and you see that a lot with, you know, let's say a sexual challenge in a relationship. Usually the person who that might sit on takes all the responsibility and feels the shame and the pressure, and the other person is trying to get them to, well, just fix that thing. go do. Mm-hmm. But all intimacy issues are couples issues. They're not yeah. single person issues, which that can, of course, spark a lot of enragement depending on the subject.
0: Mm.
1: Oh, Yeah. Yeah. I want to just keep going and going and going. I've got so many things, but <laughs> I'm also respectful of your time. And we have some questions that we usually ask our guests. I want to hear the answers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, all right. Well, so for the first one, Mark, who have been your greatest mentors, your greatest teachers, you feel like?
2: Oh, wow. Um, so without knowing uh, like people whose work I really felt mentored by. Hmm trying to think of like some of the most life-changing books for me. Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl was the first book that ever really made me think about having a why and not Mm -hmm. just being a person in a cog in a system. Um, Harville Hendricks' work, uh, Getting the Love You Want. um, Anatomy of the Spirit by Carolyn Mace was Mm -hmm. a big, huge fracturing for me because it merged sort of the psychotherapeutic with the spiritual world and that to me actually has been sort of everyone i love or have been mentored by uh alan watts's work huge influence on me i've consumed voraciously everything he's ever put out uh ram das that merger of sociology with spirituality um i've really been impacted recently by francis weller's work Mm-hmm. who is a psychotherapist who also talks a lot about spirituality and he has an audio series that honestly like blew me away it was called it's called alchemy of the spirit
3: mm-hmm.
2: or no alchemy of initiation mm-hmm. and it's unbelievable it's so unbelievable it's like such a beautiful recontextualizing of he speaks to how when we go through an initiatory process, like a divorce, like whatever it might be, um, when they occur in community and the community supports us, they are initiatory processes. Mm-hmm. When they occur outside, they're traumas. Yep. And it's such a beautiful way of, of recontextualizing that the things we go through are always invitations mm-hmm. to an expanded self mm-hmm. and to getting to know our soul on a deeper level, our self, The earth Uh, and he speaks a lot to indigenous cultures being about that and and that we need to return to community and i love that that was beautiful so i'd say those robert augustus masters work has been quite influential on me i've done uh psychotherapy trainings with him and and some group work with him and those were those blew me wide open they were incredible
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's... really quick, I want to say that the the work you were just saying about the initiation, I actually wrote my grad school thesis exactly on that, um, on initiation and wow. trauma trauma as a form of initiation, actually, but how psychotherapy, and I would even say like what, you know, the kind of work that you do, um, even like in the social media sphere, all this stuff, how it actually can be the platform for the initiation to take place in lack, in our lack of community, um, and how that has actually, I would say, Kind of risen up in place of community because so many of us are lacking. Um, but
2: anyway,
1: I was just
3: mm, like- That's
2: beautiful. Yeah. I, yeah. I never really thought of uh, the community themselves being digital, which we would say are not as human, are actually what's humanizing us, which is really cool. Is like, you know, I found that I didn't, I went to, when I listened to things like Alan Watts at first, I felt witnessed by the words. Mm-hmm because I was thinking about these things I'd always hungered for, but I didn't know what I did. You know, you sort of yeah. like, I remember listening to Catholicism as a kid and being like, Nope, this doesn't hit the mark. And you know, and then they'd be like, yeah, you know, they'd share something. Yeah, and this is our belief system. I'm like I didn't choose this. This was given to me. I was born into this. And I think when we start to see, we can choose our spiritual practices. We can choose our relational skills. We're not destined to like what our parents went through or what, mm-hmm like just because your parents got divorced doesn't mean you're going to get divorced. If you don't look at your relational patterns and your family system patterns, you're probably going to get divorced. You know, and that's not a negative uh destiny for you, it's just a truth which is if we don't look at how we relate, we'll just continue to spin in endless cycles. Patterns repeat themselves till we change a choice. Other than that, you're going to keep doing the same shit till it hurts enough that you're like I should probably change this. And those are those initiatory processes that are like, "Wow, here's a cosmic two by four to the forehead." Yeah. And ow. (laughs) Yeah. Had many of those.
0: Yeah, but I do truly feel that we can be held um, by these virtual communities, and you know, as much as we want to feel like social media, and it does have a lot of negative aspects to it. I think you know, I gotta tell you, Mark, um, I was literally listening to your podcast. Driving home the day that I got separated, and you know Vanessa and I come from um, a depth psychology perspective, so there's certainly like a lot of spiritual component to the Mm -hmm. psychology that we do. But you know, I believe that that is God shot, universe shot, something because the podcast you were talking about was literally about like how to like stay in relationship in a way where you can sort of I don't know like not have it be war, not you know like the conversation was literally. It felt like the right, universe right. speaking to me through you, and so I feel like we can be held in community in these difficult moments of initiation through these virtual um, paradigms, which is cool and
2: yeah. yeah so cool to have our realities validated by mm. a strangers, which mm-hmm. you know in very much in the work that you're doing with this podcast. You know, I'm sure there's people listening like, "Yes, yes," you know, which I say that often. I when I'm listening to things where I'm like, "Oh, yeah, finally. Like there's mm. some fucking truth." And you're like, "We're not all It's so f- interesting to me that humans collectively have organized systemically to dance around truths no one wants to acknowledge,
3: mm. which is what we
2: do in family systems. And then when one person points to the truth, they're often exiled or called the black sheep, yes. not realizing that they're actually the sheep that's bringing enlightenment and light and 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 truth to. So all of us can actually live and take a breath of like, oh yeah, like Grandma was an alcoholic. Thank God someone fucking said it. <laughs> or like that. Uncle Tom was this, or you know yeah. whatever it is, or even now where we're like, oh yeah, like racism exists. And you know I remember talking to my friend who's a black woman from Brooklyn, and she was like this has always existed. Like, yeah, yeah. And, and for all of us to be having these conversations where I really feel like, I mean, in depth psychology, you got Carl Jung, you know? So, I mean, amen to these people who have really taken brave and these conversations are brave that you're having on your podcast that are saying like, Let's have talks and conversations that people aren't having. And mm-hmm. isn't that crazy that it's in that it's in the, the modeling of imperfection that we are witnessed. It's in the modeling of struggle, not with the perfect, but not with the perfect Instagram, not with the perfect highlight reel. Like the, I heard the Kardashian show is being canceled. I'm like, or like they're canceling it themselves. And I was like, that's great. <laughs> Bye. I don't know anyone else who's modeled like, your sense of body image in mm. such a short period of time, if it wasn't already bad enough, I, yeah. I was like, holy shit. Yeah, I and mean, I know that sounds like I'm judging and I am because I actually <laughs> I see mean, the negative yeah. impact.
1: They've, I, I've mm-hmm. witnessed it. I have a younger sister. I mean, I, I see it everywhere. And so, yeah. And I think to your point about being in such a short amount of time, it's kind of crazy actually. It's
2: crazy what we choose as influence. Like that, the fact that we hit a follow button and don't think about, the investment mm. that follow has also to curating our own social media feeds i remember i have a, I have a buddy named jeremy Goldberg, whose instagram is long distance love bombs and he i remember said go through your social media feed and unfollow anyone who is below an eight out of ten for your well-being mm. and he said don't pick a seven he's like because sevens are the line where you're not willing to commit you're not willing to put them down to a six <laughs> or up to an eight. So he said anything below an eight. And I'm like, Ooh, feel called out on that one. You know? Cause I'm like seven, seven, seven. Yeah. No sevens allowed.
0: I feel like I need to do some cleaning.
1: house. My whole feed would go away. <laughs> 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 like, I, don't, I feel bad. I don't want to be mean. I mean, they're kind of a seven. Maybe they're kind of an eight. <laughs> no. My social
2: media manager. She's funny. She was like, uh can we follow or like maybe mute some of your friends so that i can get (laughs) real substance on the feed and i was like well don't like unfollow them and like you know they're not mute
1: them they'll never know
2: (laughs) and i said it's not that bad is it so she started to send me screen caps and i was like okay yeah and then if you're my friend listening to this you weren't one of them i'm sure
1: and now I just personally choose you to go. I seek out your content, right?
2: <laughs> oh, and then we like turn on notifications for accounts, you know, that are really like, you know, reinforcing the work. And I, I don't know that, you know, that idea of like where your, where your attention goes, your energy goes. And mm-hmm. when we start to take that high level of responsibility for, you know, the other day I said that we should stop watching the news. And I really think you should because from a positive psychology perspective, Mm -hmm. the negative ratio of negative conversation to positive is, it's crazy. And you realize that your nervous system is so archaic. It's not programmed for such an inundation of negativity. Mm -hmm. And then you wonder why you're anxious, why you're depressed. It's because the world itself has so much suffering Mm -hmm. and you're not meant to hold all of it. You're meant to... Influence the suffering that is within your influence. and so, you know We often inundate ourselves with all this information But then you can't you're so paralyzed Mm -hmm. with the immense amount that you actually don't do anything Mm -hmm. As opposed to being like what can I do in this moment that you know You think about the fires it's like what can I do in this moment that actually contributes to fighting? What's currently going on in the world? there are, you can donate money, you can volunteer, you can choose local things. You can even choose to post and share about it, you know, Mm -hmm. which is beautiful that you can actually influence these things. But when you're inundated with it, holy shit.
1: I was just saying to somebody who's a friend of mine, a trauma specialist, exactly what you just said i just said to a family member of mine like not even a week ago where i was like whoa you are inundated this is a cesspool like you need to come up for air you're it is so not good for your nervous system enough is enough um and i asked my friend who's a trauma specialist like what is it about this addiction that mm-hmm. some people have though because it really is an addiction i feel like um to just like be yeah. in this negative 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 and you know we were talking about that and she's like well it is actually addicted it's an addiction to the trauma state right like if you're not System gets used to functioning at that level, anything lower than that level feels unsafe, actually, um, because you are functioning mm. on hyper arousal constantly and you feel like you're in a state of, I know what's happening, I've got this, I can be prepared. And so if you allow yourself to drop out of that, you actually feel less safe. And I was like, mm. that makes so much sense.
2: That felt like a truth that hits you home right mm. in between the old legs. Yeah. That was a good one. Yeah. I was like, ow. Yeah. That's- because yeah. I feel Gain that when I'm following then you know, like the trying to understand both narratives of what's mm-hmm. going on right now, because I feel like they're Same. so, uh, in the context of COVID, they're yeah. so extreme that I know the truth lives somewhere in between and I know how to read science. Mm-hmm. So I'm like,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, I'm really curious about a lot of things and it makes me go down so many rabbit holes where mm-hmm. I realize my system is constantly mm-hmm. activated. And you're right, Well, if I was to just unplug from those things, I would be in no arousal state.
3: Mm. I would
2: be in a, and then what do you do with that, right? Then, you know, you start to see, and I'm now it's making me ask my a question to myself of like, what version of whack-a-mole is that? Like, what has that replaced that I thought I resolved? Because mm-hmm. I'm sure it's replaced something, probably uh, familiarity with chaos or not being chosen in my relationships.
3: Mm-hmm. That
2: when I'm chosen, I'm like, oh, uh, does anyone have a map to what we do here? You know? mm, yeah.
1: Well, that, there you go, there's food for thought. So now you can take this and spin yeah, it. Yeah, shit, thanks a lot. You're now, now, <laughs>
2: um, I guess humility, you know, fucking hell. We go.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, next question. Um, what do you do for flow? How do you find yourself in a flow state? What do you do when you find yourself in a flow state? Or what are you doing, I suppose, when you find yourself in a flow state?
2: So seasonally, I surf for flow that for me is a huge flow finder i love it because you have to be present or else you're gonna smash yourself in the water and you smash yourself in the water anyways Mm -hmm. um so that's one way hiking is a huge flow for me just being in nature i feel like the more you're in nature the more uh, empathy and consciousness you have for all living beings and Mm -hmm. you realize that You can't just throw a glass bottle out. You can't just step on an ant. You can't, because I realized that nature just gives me so much and Mm -hmm. expects nothing in return. And I can't just take, you know, there is, I have to fight for what is is important. And I watched uh, The Octopus Teacher. Have you guys heard of this? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, it's on Netflix. And it's this documentary um, filmmaker who you follow his story through getting to know an octopus. Aww. It is such a beautiful story. I watched it last night, And he said that the more time his son spends in the water and like in the ocean, the more reverence he has for the Earth. And I was like, mm, "Amen, yeah. that's so beautifully put. Shout out to that documentary. It was very Good touching. To it. So
0: beautiful. Um, what breaks your heart? Mark?
2: It breaks my heart that we are n- unable to hold space for many different perspectives. You know, I feel like uh, I feel like we're in quite a dangerous time where censorship has, although we, I'm not American, but you know the the First Amendment is really in jeopardy, in my opinion. That large corporate um, social media platforms are Censoring anything that doesn't go with the government's main narratives mm-hmm. and that really scares me because it's It's only through opposing views that we find truth that we actually find unity and It, it makes me fearful that because we're censoring them there's something in them in the mm-hmm. truth, in the things that are being censored yes. and uh, I think I, there's such a collective anxiety right now and we're all fighting to be heard we're all fighting to be seen and I don't know how to create that space. Honestly, I don't. I, I hope that the work that we do in some way contributes to that. I, I think it does. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't know that it's ever been harder to be someone with an opinion or a thought uh, than today. Mm-hmm. And I implore everyone to share them, to fight for what's right, to fight for the truth. Because in fighting for global truths, you're fighting for your personal truths, too. You know, it's the same thing, and if we're going to minimize them to avoid conflict, uh, that's doing that's codependent. You know, it's <laughs> like we're not sharing truths globally. We're not sharing them personally, and uh, watching what's going on in the world is really scary. It's really scary. But I think as a human, as a species, we have to reclaim our planet. And the way we treat our planet is awful. I had Doctor Zach Bush on my podcast, and he said all of what's going on right now is the sign of a species on its way to extinction. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: I thought, and he said, you know, whenever extinction has occurred of a species, consciousness always comes back better. Mm
3: -hmm.
2: And I thought that's really fascinating. You know, we're really at this turning point where we either recognize that we are literally so narcissistic in how we treat the planet Mm -hmm. that we just take, we don't even think about the impact Yes, And I, you know, there's a lot of things being juggled and that makes me really sad that we hopefully pay attention to how exploitive we are of so many things. Mm-hmm. Of so many things, people, thoughts, feelings, everything. Mm-hmm. That was a long answer. No.
1: No. Yeah. Um, okay, the last one is a really heavy one. What's your favorite food?
2: Peanut butter. Oh, I love it.
1: I have an answer before I like it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm one of the people who escaped peanut butter allergies before I was born early enough. <laughs> I didn't mm. get oh, I love peanut butter so much. With chocolate, winning. Yeah, it's a pretty yeah. combination.
0: <laughs> well, Mark, you know, just sort of referencing what you just said, thank you for being such a brave voice right now at a time when we need it so desperately. Thank you for using your platform as a way to sort of speak to the ways that we all need to sort of take a look inward, take responsibility for the way we're showing up in the world and challenging us to do that. Um, We just really appreciate you and um, you're really a gift to us all. So thank you. Well,
2: thanks so much for having me. I've uh, really enjoyed this conversation. It's such an honor, honestly, to be on the podcast and uh, just really grateful that we get to have these conversations, which Mm. is uh, really uh, an honor. Yeah.
1: Great. Thank you so much.